0: March. March means madness. March means basketball, and it uh, it always makes me start thinking back toward uh, my coaching days. And so I realize a lot of you don't know. Perhaps you don't realize I I have 12 years or so of head coaching um, experience uh, in the UBA, um, the Upward Basketball Association. <laughs> And, uh, man, that was fun. Uh, So much fun. And, honestly, we had a lot of success. Um, Our coaching staff, I was always really proud of them, especially proud of our graduation rate. I mean, we were not just about sports, but academics. Uh, In fact, we had a perfect graduation rate. Every one of our kindergartners graduated to the first grade, every single one of them, every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Back when we taught Upward, and really, anyone who learns the game of basketball, um, there's something that seems really simple, but it's vital to really making the game work for you. It's a particular stance. It's called a triple threat. Um, The way it works is when you receive the ball, so let's say you catch the pass, um, there is a, a positioning of your feet. There's a positioning of your hands. There's a positioning of your body. Your, your feet need to be uh, at least shoulder width or so apart. Um, your, your, the leg that is your strong hand, I'm right-handed, so your, your foot on that side is a little bit in front of the other one. You're going to bend your knees a little bit, uh, create a, a lower center of gravity. Your hands are in a specific place on the ball. One's behind the ball. One's beside the ball. Looks a lot like if you would shoot. That's, that's the position. But it's there so that when you tuck that ball into your hip, all right, you can protect it. So you've got a defender who is in front of you, but two hands on the ball tucked in a way. You're able to keep them, and then you just simply lower. If you're trying to move from side to side, you, you lower in order to protect the ball. Well, what this position gives you is you got options. Uh, there's a defender in front of you, but you can protect the ball and, until perhaps you're ready to make a pass, all right? You got a pivot foot that cannot move, right? Typically, again, it's going to be your strong leg because, again, I'm right-handed, so I can jump better back in the day with this leg. And, and so you're able to pivot until you can make a pass. That's one option. Um, The other option is you're going to make some sort of a fake and then actually drive with the ball. That's a second option. And then your third option, depending on how the defender plays you, you, you give a fake and then you're able to shoot. Thus, it is a triple threat. Pass, drive, shoot. But the key to making that work is the stance. If you don't hold the ball correctly, ball's stolen. If, if your feet aren't right, you're not in a position to quickly respond, to uh, take a shot, for example. It's all about the stance. What used to happen with, with kids when we were first start to teach them, uh, the defender would run up to them and they would immediately, so they got the ball protection idea, but they would turn their back, right, to the defender. Well... Okay, you can keep the ball away from them for a little bit, but you're no threat. There's nothing to advance the ball. You can't see in order to to pass the ball. You certainly can't shoot from that direction. The stance is critical to advancing the ball. Well, we are actually in week five of a little series that we are tackling in the first chapter of Philippians called Happenstance. And it's a play on the word happenstance. Happenstance is usually the idea of of something just happens. It's like luck. But what we're saying in this series is that when you entrust your life to Jesus, it changes all that. It's not simply about what happens to me because stuff happens to all of us. But with Jesus, it becomes about what will I happen to it? And my stance changes that. It's not about good luck or bad luck. Man, now it's about a Jesus who in all things works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Jesus changes my stance on how I am still able to advance no matter what. Is in front of me. That is what we're studying together, and I am grateful that you're joining us today. So, thanks for taking the time to to uh, be here today. I, any of our uh, mission sites or campuses today, we're grateful that you would join with us. Grateful for those of you who are joining us online from uh, all different places. Um, every week, I am grateful for the ability that we can experience this together. Just a quick note, there's a lot of cool stuff going on right now, Heart of Life-wise. A lot of cool opportunities that you can check out. So I think it's already been said today, but I'm gonna say it again. Um, scan the QR code, man. That's a that's a great little easy way that going forward you can keep up with everything that's going on. Uh, if you miss the QR code on the Heart of Life website, there's a tab called "What's Happening." All you got to do is click that button, and it will give you a list of all the stuff that's taking place. So, Philippians chapter one. Here's what we're learning: the Apostle Paul is in prison. And most every circumstance that I can imagine of a person being in prison would tend to make you think, well, that's wasted time. That's time wasted. I mean, most every circumstance I can think of being in prison would feel like that's time where I don't want to be. That's time wasted. But Paul in this first chapter is declaring to those first believers in that city of Philippi, that's why the letter's called Philippians, he, he wants them to know, he says, no, it, it is not wasted time. What has happened to me, these circumstances that I'm in, they have actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, I am not wasting my time here because I'm still doing what my life is all about. I'm still living on purpose. My purpose is sharing the good news of Jesus, and as long as that's happening, he says, look, I can do that from prison. In fact, he says, even the people who are preaching Jesus that aren't doing it for the right motive, he said, I'm celebrating when Jesus is preached. That's what leads me to rejoice. Even in prison, my purpose is still moving forward. I am rejoicing. That is a powerful stance. So he sets us up today for a most incredible statement. It's one of the most popular statements in, in the whole letter of Philippians. I'm going to read the whole section, and then we're just going to zero in on a couple of the statements within that. All right? So let's take a look at it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll come back. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let me summarize. Paul says, I'd rather be in heaven because it's better than here. All right? I'd rather be in heaven because it's better than here. Everything we read about, right, uh, being in heaven, being with Jesus, the, the perfection, the, the, the no more tears, the no more sorrow, all, all of those pictures that we're getting he's saying, I'd, I'd rather go to heaven because that's the best option. But so far, that's not what I'm supposed to be. That, that's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not where I'm supposed to be. And so I am staying. But the remarkable statement he makes, I'm staying For your joy, your joy in the faith, and the faith that he's talking about is this joy of of faith in Jesus, a a life that is entrusted to Jesus, which he says is connected to your progress in the faith which is something we've been reading for the last several weeks about how this new birth happens in us, but then God grows us in this relationship. He says this joy in your faith, it's attached to a progress in your faith, and that is all connected to you boasting in the greatness of Jesus. And when I read that word abound this week, It it drew my mind back toward, remember, at one time Paul was saying in this chapter, hey, I'm praying for you that your love may abound more and more. And now he's saying, but I'm also walking this out with you so that your praise may abound more and more. And in the center of that little section of what I call supernatural life, There is a supernatural truth. And it is the little line that, well, we'll just say, it's one of the most popular phrases in Philippians. It's verse 21, and this is how he says it. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, when we get to chapter 3, Paul's going to say it again. He's going to say it a little differently. There he's going to say, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. In other words, at every moment of my life, I value Jesus more. At every moment, I value Jesus more than whatever I'm doing. Jesus is more valuable than whatever I'm doing. At any given moment, whatever I may have, Jesus is more valuable than whatever I could possibly possess. Whoever I'm talking to at any given moment, I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm just saying Jesus is more valuable than anything else. At all moments of my life, he is most valuable. Valuable. So that how is dying gain? It's because even in dying, I get to be with Jesus. Okay, when I die, I'm leaving my family, leaving loved ones, perhaps a spouse kids, family, friendships, I'm leaving people. I, I, when I'm dying, I'm leaving a, perhaps a successful business, perhaps life dreams. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving perhaps a, 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 an enjoyable retirement, all that stuff I'm leaving. When I die, I'm leaving all that. But Paul says, but the news is I get to be with Jesus, and therefore the stamp that I put on all of that, Gain. It's gain. And I'm saying, do you understand that the only way that works, the only way dying is gain, is if living is Jesus? I mean, if you want to try to to fill in the blank, if living for me is wealth, then dying is loss because I ain't taking any of that with me. Whatever wealth I have amassed, whatever I have accumulated, it's done. I don't get to take it with me. So if, if living is wealth, then dying is loss. If living is fame, if living is notoriety, if it's, if it's people's recognition, if, if that's what I live for, then when I die, it's loss because Gone. If living is power, right, to to work hard enough to, to be a person in power, to have some control, to be, if living is power, then when I die, that power, it's done. But if living is Jesus, it's the only way that dying becomes Gain. Now, we could spend a long time just on that aspect of how in death it is gain. But today, I'm going to choose to go the other route. We, we still may get to that by the time we're done with Philippians. But I, I want to go back to the statement that Paul makes in verse 20 that I think really describes what he's saying it means to live for Christ. To live is Christ. Look at verse 20 one more time, and I want to highlight this phrase for you. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, here's the phrase, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I want courage, I want boldness to exalt Jesus in my body, in my life. I want courage to praise, we could say, Jesus with my life. And he says, this is my purpose. So I I want courage to do that now while I'm in prison, right? Even in these chains, I want courage to praise Jesus with my life, but I also want it just all the time. So even if I get out of these chains, in every circumstance of my life, I want to praise him. This is Paul's stance. His stance is about advancing the gospel, advancing the good news of Jesus, advancing the news that Jesus is greater than anything in any moment of life. That's his stance to advance that truth no matter what circumstances he finds himself in. Now, Does any other scripture support that? And the answer is yes, a lot. Today, I'm just going to show you a couple of verses because I want to really highlight. I want you to see clearly what this means for our lives. Check out Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is another letter that Paul writes to some Jesus followers in a place called Ephesus. And a part of what he says to them, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, in love, he, as God, predestined us for adoption. That's good news. God adopts us. To sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, not because he had to, but because he delights to. Our God wants to adopt us. And check it out. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the One He loves. Who's the One He loves? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. He says, "Look, He's adopted you. He He brings you into His family." And the purpose, right, what's attached to this? To the praise of his glorious grace. It is an eternal purpose that is attached. And grace is the high point for Paul when he thinks about the greatness of God. Now, he knows that God is glorious in every way. God is great in every way. He is great in his justice. He is great in his wisdom. He is great in his wrath. He is great in his patience. He is great in every way. But Paul knows the most stunning, the most glorious picture for him, it is God's grace. Let me show you one more text, 2 Timothy chapter one. 2 Timothy chapter one, it reads this way, he, that again, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and, what's the word? Grace, this grace was given us In Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You mean, you mean God planned grace before He even created this? This worked? You mean, I mean, because it was after creation that then he made Man and woman, and then they did what they sinned, which is where we think man that that is we need grace because of our sin and he's saying before any of that, do you realize this was God's plan even before creation it's the plan of his grace I give you this verse today because I think it's good every once in a while to just run head on into a piece of God's word that just sort of leaves you stunned. That makes you realize how magnificent this grace of a God that didn't just react when we sinned against him. But before time began, he planned grace. There are moments that I read those texts, and it just sort of leaves me shaking my head. I believe it, but it's just almost too much. God knows what the high point of his glory, his greatness looks like. It looks like grace. And he knows that the high point of that grace is that he would die for us. See, I wanted to make sure we're clear that when we talk about this this life that praises him, when we talk about our purpose that that comes from eternity past, that it is not cloudy what we're praising, let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like the perfect, sinless, eternal God who willingly was spit upon, was crowned with thorns, was whipped, was mocked, was killed. That's what it looks like. And that's how God will fulfill his purpose to get glory for his grace everywhere on the planet. It's the news that God himself, the son of God would pay the price, would pay the ransom for people like me and for people like you who have a long track record of failing him. That's what Paul knows. And that's why Paul loves the gospel. He loves the good news of Jesus. He loves grace. He loves the God who thought it up and lived it out. And so Paul says, look, I'd rather be in heaven. Let's just call it like it is. But it's not time for me to be there yet. So I'm here with you to help you with everything I've got, that everything in your life will make Jesus look great. Because he is. One more time, take a look at that phrase. Christ will be exalted in my body. I wanna use the rest of the time we got here to say, okay, exactly how does that happen? Like, what does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? Let's, let's, let's get practical. How do we do that with our lives? Here we go. Here's where I'm going to start. I want to encourage you today, like I would see Paul encourage you in other parts of, of Scripture. This is the way I'm going to say it. How about we get reacquainted with Jesus every morning? You want to exalt him with your life? Then I want to encourage you to get reacquainted with Jesus every morning. Now, when I say get reacquainted, I don't mean that somehow overnight in you sleeping that you lost Jesus. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that he went anywhere. I, I'm, I'm speaking exactly the opposite. I, I mean, you need to be reminded that he didn't go anywhere and that he didn't leave you and you didn't lose him. That's what I mean. Every morning, a a reacquainting with him, that you are reminded of who he is and therefore who you are in him. The fact is, you slept. (laughs) And there is effect on us when we sleep in the morning, for most of you, this is your schedule, you get up in the morning and it's time to seize a new day with an opportunity, right, to do what you were purposed to do, where do you start? You're going to start with the one that you declare is most important for everything. You need to reacquaint, for example, his presence. His presence. You are re- he is with you. There is a conversation that needs to happen first thing in the morning, I'm recommending so that there can be a conversation that continues all throughout your day that is a part of you living a life that actually declares his greatness. You need in the morning to listen to him. You need in the morning to speak to him. There is this privilege that he has given you, a God who lives within you, never to leave you, never to forsake you, that every day you get up acknowledging the connection that his grace has made possible for you. If he is most valuable, most important to your life, then there is nothing else you can do first thing in the morning that is more powerful than this. This is where we need to start. I want to encourage you to get reacquainted with Jesus every single morning. Don't move past the coffee pot before you talk with him. Now, I want to show you a couple of pieces that can be attached to that. You get reacquainted with his provision. When I'm I'm talking with him in the morning, a part of what I'm I'm getting reacquainted with is the fact that he provides for me and out of that provision changes my attitude. It changes my perspective to one of gratitude. Everything you have, you have because of his grace. Everything, the ability to think, Right, you don't have that. If He didn't create you with with that blessing of grace, right the 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 ability to feel every, every, to speak, to walk, to touch, to see, to hear, they are all undeserved gifts of His grace. And when we start to see our day that way, it leads us into this ongoing conversation all day long that instead of complaining about everything that gets in front of me, I start to thank him for all the stuff that I'm seeing around me. That's because of him. I thank him for the breath to live another day. I thank him for strength. I thank him for relationships. I'm thanking him for family. I'm thanking him for friendships. I thank him for a job. I thank him for a home. You thank him for an automobile that sits at your home and allows you to get to a job. I mean, no matter what's happening to you, even in the seasons that are like your prison, The truth is there's still a hundred things at any given moment that you can thank him for. That's the stance that Paul takes. Yeah, struggles happen. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But when I am, right, reacquainting with Jesus every morning and reminded of his provision, it changes how I live my day. It ends up changing how I treat people. Let me give you one more. Get reacquainted with Jesus every morning and his promises, his promises. And those promises are actually what what, sparks this faith, this trust in him that, that he always keeps his word. You are going to face challenges. If you can handle those challenges alone, just being honest, they're probably not very significant challenges. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying we ain't that powerful in terms of dealing with things that, if we can handle it, it's only so big. But most of us want to be a part of something that's bigger than just temporary. We want to be a part of something eternal. We want to be a part of something that lasts. If you want that, then you need to reacquaint with his promises. And listen, the Bible is full. Think of it in terms of just in Philippians chapter one, what are some promises that we can already walk away from? How about a God who finishes what he starts? That one will last a while. You get that one first thing in the morning and you walk in that promise all day long and no matter what you're going through, you're like, I know, but my God's still doing his thing. My God still working. He's going to finish the stuff he starts. I know it looks like there's some obstacles. I know it looks like this is a challenge, but my God, he finishes what he starts. It is his promise. It is guaranteed, right? He is the God who answers prayer. He is the God who wants to make love abound more and more in you. That's what he says. He what he wants to do, right? He, he is the God who continues to advance his purpose. And therefore, when his purpose is your purpose, then no matter, he cannot be stopped. He is the God who provides everything that is needed for my deliverance. Whether that means at times from a circumstance in this life, or we looked at that word, it means salvation, whether life or death. Those are the promises that strengthen my faith. Get reacquainted with Jesus every morning. Some of you are like, I know, but my best study time is at night, right? Got some night studiers, like morning is not when I like to study, right? You might say, I like studying in the morning, but some people is like night is the time that I read. That's when I read my Bible. That's cool. That's cool. Read it at night. Write down the promises, right? You're rolling through, and what you're seeing somewhere in there, you're not going to walk away till you see one of those truths, those promises that he gives you. But I'm going to remind you. Then you sleep. So get up in the morning. Take out whatever you wrote down the night before and just get reacquainted with this truth. Get reacquainted with him. Review it. It's kind of like aligning your compass before you tear off into this world. Reacquaint with him. Reacquaint with him every morning. It's like a pause. It's a pause. So how's that segue into me inviting you one more time? that about three weeks from now, we're gonna do a thing together as Heart of Life where everybody's gonna come together on a weekend and we're calling it pause. The reason we're calling it pause, just like every morning, it's a new day where you really wanna pause and lean into him and you wanna hear his voice. Well, we just realize in, in the life of our church, the last two or three years, as crazy as all that's been, we recognize some things that God's doing among his people and it just feels like, it's like a new season. And the best thing we know to do before we tear off into it is to pause. And what if for a Friday night and a Saturday morning, we come together and we praise him because that's what we're made to do. And we learn to listen. How do you hear God's voice? What, What if we do, that's what pause is all about. And so I want to encourage you to be a part. I know it's giving your time, but I unashamedly would say, what are you going to give greater time to than the praise of Jesus and learning to hear his voice? All right, let me give you another one getting acquainted with him every morning, then in his strength live. And when I say live, for, for some of you, that, that's, right, you have a job, it, it's work. For some of you, you're in school, it, it's study. For some of you, at play, right, all that together, right? In his strength, live in a way that confirms the greatness of Jesus. So I get reacquainted with him every morning. I'm recognizing his presence. I, I, I realize what he provides. I, I, I'm getting his, his promise in order to walk with. Now I'm ready, okay, in his strength, I want to live in a way that confirms Jesus' greatness. Let me show you an example. I'm going to give you three words, but let me me give you a scripture. There's a place in in, um, the Bible where Paul is addressing people who are still trapped in slavery. Now, they are free in Jesus, these are, these are believers who their sin is forgiven. They're no longer tied to their guilt and, and their sin. They have been set free by Jesus, but they are still slaves in this world. There are places in the Bible where Paul says, if you can be free, be free, because God made you to be free. But these people were not yet in a circumstance that they could be free from their slavery in the world. And so this is the advice that Paul gives them Titus chapter 2, he says, look, you're still slaves. You still have masters. He says, "Teach, teach the slaves not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully, what's this word? Trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior, there's Jesus, what's that word? Attractive. Attractive. So let's go back to our statement. In his strength, we're going to live in a way that confirms the greatness of Jesus. One of the examples I'm giving you today is the word trust. Live in a way that's trustful. That's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, you live truthful. You don't manipulate people. Even you are a slave to a master. Don't steal from them. Don't steal from them but you be truthful so that when you tell them about the freedom that you have now had in Jesus, you tell them this good news of a Jesus who died for them, when you tell them that good news, they will be ready to receive good news because your truthfulness has made that attractive to them. In other words, it's sort of this picture that our character adorns the gospel, if you will. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is already beautiful. He's already glorious. He's already greater than anything else. But your character adorns that truth so that when you're sharing Jesus with someone, it makes them attracted to that. Um, put it this way. For Christmas... I got my wife some earrings. She wanted some because she lost the other ones like in Taiwan or some place in the world that we can't go get them, all right? So she had lost some earrings that she really liked and so I got her some nice earrings for Christmas, all right? My wife is beautiful. Me putting earrings on her doesn't make her more beautiful, but it does draw attention to the truth that she's beautiful. Does that make sense? She's already beautiful. The earrings don't make her more beautiful, but they draw attention to the fact that she is. Paul's saying when you live character, like truthfulness, you're not making Jesus more beautiful, all right? He's already beautiful, But when you live a life of truth, come on, especially in the day in which we live where nobody trusts anything because it seems like nobody keeps their word, right? Nobody actually does what they're gonna say. He's like, come on, you start to live truth like in your business. If you actually live trustworthy in your business, right? Don't take advantage of people. Keep your word. Be on time when you say you're gonna be there. Follow through when you say you're gonna follow through you will start to create this adornment that when you're actually ready to tell them about Jesus, they can see him as attractive. If I had given my wife for Christmas some dirty, old, you know, stained, ripped clothes and said, you know, Merry Christmas, babe, I really like these, would you please wear? She could wear those old, dirty, stained clothes but they would mask. They would cover. She's beautiful, but they would cover her beauty. It would. It would. It would make that right. She would be dirty in that sense. Paul's saying, if you act like a jerk, you treat people wrong. You understand. You are muddying the picture of the greatness of Jesus if you try to tell them who he is. Hmm. So if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna live in a way that confirms his greatness, man, living a life of trust, he's like, Jesus, I need you to help me. Every morning as I'm getting acquainted, I, I need you to help me to walk this out in your strength. I wanna be truthful the way you are truthful. Let me give you another word. I'm gonna use the word creativity, all right? When I'm using the word creativity, I, I associate with, in order to be creative, you gotta work hard. And so whether this is on your job or whether it's those of you who are in school and you're studying, it, it's like, it, it's this commitment that, that, that I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna be creative, always seeking. I, I wanna make things better. I wanna make things more beautiful. It's interesting to me that working hard and being creative, you understand that like even the animals can do that. Like animals work hard. You ever watch them build nests and gather food? Like animals work hard. And I'm saying animals can be incredibly creative. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Peter used an illustration of a spider. I don't think spiders are beautiful. Right, I don't. I don't think spiders are beautiful, and I don't like running into spider webs. But come on, spider webs are an incredible picture of the creativity of God. A spider that can spin a web overnight, and then you ever get up the next morning, and, and the sun is is glistening off the dew that is formed on that spider web, and you're like, oh my. I don't think spiders are beautiful, but that's beautiful. Animals can work hard and animals can display the creativity and the greatness of God. So what's the difference in us and them? The difference is God made you in his image. You can choose to do so. You can think about doing so. You can plan to do so. You can trust him in doing so, and you can praise him in doing so. When you go to work, you go to work, it is this, cons- this conscious thinking that says, I, God, will you help me to work like I need to work today? Help me to work hard. Help me to be responsible. And God, will you pour into me as much creativity as you were possibly willing to pour into me? And on this day, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be creative and I'm going to do it in complete reliance upon you and I'm dedicated, this is all you, God, all you. Let me give you one more word, unselfish. Unselfish, you want to live in a way that confirms the greatness of Jesus. When I say unselfish, I'm talking about live to benefit others. Let's talk business for a second. Some of you are in business, you own a business, you're a part of a business. Um, you, you should, you should as a part of your business, make money, okay? In, in fact, I would say your goal is to make enough money that you don't have to rely all the time on other people to meet the basic needs of your life. That's a part of God's design for work, which, by the way, he set up before the fall, works way harder now than it, than it was before, but work has always been a part of that design. And you work so that you can make resources that in our case you make money and you want to make enough money that you don't have to all the time rely on somebody else to supply your basic needs that don't don't there's a whole nother talk right of sometimes we all end up in a spot where we need some help and that's what with is about it's together we we can meet each other's needs and we can help each other out in times of struggle but on a daily basis you want to work a business to a level that you can make enough money that you're not having to rely on other people to meet those basic needs for you. But here's what gets tricky. That's not supposed to be your focus. Your focus is asking the question, how, how can what I do, how can this benefit others? How does this service that, that my company provides, how does this actually help other people? Like how can we do this in a way that other people know that they are being helped by what we are providing, by what we are doing? Now look, that's tricky. It's dangerous because our, our, our attention always tends to go back to how much more can I make and how much more can I make, and I'm not downplaying money, you hear me saying, I, but when you no longer put the focus on benefiting others and your focus is only on dollars, I'm gonna tell you it's likely you may not even make as much profit because people start to pick up on you and they stop trusting you and it starts feeling like the only reason you're in business is how much can you take from them Sometimes it even means your profit goes down because your focus, focus is selfish versus outward. But a bigger reason, a bigger reason is you won't make much of Jesus' greatness. When your focus is not on blessing others, let me show you one text, Ephesians chapter 4. I found this interesting. Paul says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. I love that. Look, if you're stealing, stop it. All right, that's what he's saying. If you're taking stuff, stop it. There's a better design. You must work. That's the plan. This is how you, this is how you get. You work to get it. You don't steal to get it. But watch where he goes doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Isn't that interesting? It's because that's where he always takes it. He's like, if you're stealing stuff, stop stealing, go to work, go to work so you can make some resources. But he doesn't say so that you can have plenty of resources to be comfortable with. He, He says so that you will have resources to help other people. It's the God design. It's what he looks like. This is the stance that allows you to live it. So let's put them together. Get reacquainted with Jesus every morning. Then in his strength, you can live in a way that confirms his greatness. And I'm going to give you one more. Then you got to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus. You got to share it. Because if all you're doing is living good, they walk away going, Man, that dude's good. Man, she's really a good person. But last I checked, you nor I can do anything supernatural for anybody in our goodness. The way supernatural change happens in people's lives is we connect the dots to Jesus. Why is it that I want to live a life that's truthful? It's because Jesus, who is truthful to me, right? Uh, How is it that, that I want to, right, confirm it? It's because of Jesus. It's connecting the dots to Jesus. If you don't ever speak it, all they see is you. There is one greater than us. It is what our life purpose is. It is to declare his greatness with our lives. So our prayer today becomes Jesus, help us walk this out. Jesus, help us live this right. So what's your move today? What's your move today? We're going to hang out for a little bit. We're going um, to worship for a little bit and sing his praise and listen to him. So what do you need to do? Like for, for some of you, you need some new rhythms in your life. By new rhythms, I mean new habits. And one of those new habits may be you need to start starting the day, reacquainting with him. All right, that's fantastic. Man, God's going, yes, that's what I'm calling you to. If that's your move today, then it's time today for you to talk to him about, God, will you help me to, to establish this rhythm? And then here's your next move. Somebody else, where you are in this room, wherever you may be, somebody else in that arena with you, I would encourage you to tell them, hey, this is what I think God's calling me to. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Now, I realize that's a little bit risky, but it's not all that risky. If Some of you know people. Some of you have some folks that you would lean into and trust a little bit. Why would you not go that far if this means that much to just say, here's what I need to do. Will you pray for me? For some of us, it may be some change and some behavior because we're looking at the picture going, right now I got some things going on in my life that do not declare the greatness of Jesus. Well, what we're talking about is called repentance. That means I'm willing to turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm asking you to help me. But here's your second step. Find somebody to say, look, this is what needs to change in my life and I'm asking him to help me. Will you pray for me? Maybe it's to speak the good news boldly. Some of you are Man, you're you're trying to live truthfully and you're you're trying to walk those things out with integrity, but all that's missing is you have not yet connected the dots and you just have not yet simply said, here's who Jesus is and here's what he's done for me and here's what he'll do for you. So today, maybe that's your prayer is for boldness, but your second step, not only asking him for that boldness is to find somebody and just to say, hey, will will you pray for me? that I will be bold where he calls me to be bold. Man, I am not going to give up on with. I am not going to give up on this beautiful design that God has called us to. He wants your life to be so incredibly beautiful in him. And he's given you one another to help us fight for that. Let's praise him and let's live it. God, I thank you for your word today and I thank you for what you're gonna do in these moments together. God, as you speak, give us ears that'll hear. God, give us a willingness to go after what is life for us. That even in death, there's gain. Give us ears to hear. God, today, thank you for what you're gonna do in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen.